Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have a returning guest, Perry Marshall. I interviewed Perry a year and a half, maybe two years ago, about his project and his book called Evolution 2.0. And it takes a look at, and I may not get this spoken as well as Perry would, but I'll give it my shot. Uh, Perry takes a look at Darwin and how we think of evolution and uh, mutations and you know everything that makes us us. And he's kind of turned it on its head and he's found a lot of concepts that really have changed my view on how evolution, I think, really works. And I, I tend to agree with... Uh, just about everything he's written in the book. And we spoke about the project last time. We spoke about Evolution 2.0, so we'll go over it like really in brief. But I always want to know what the new stuff is. And it's probably an ironic thing to, to say what's new in evolution, which is old. But, uh, you know, he's been in this field really heavy for a number of years. And uh, I know he's found some new important stuff. So, so Perry, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to ha- uh, ha- be on your show. And, you know, I don't think it's ironic at all that that you'd be talking about well what's new in evolution even though evolution is old because yeah evolution is old but um nature is way 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 smarter than humans are and so we are only just like at the foothills of really understanding all of the let's call it the natural technology or the the natural genetic engineering um that is going on all around us. And so there's new things in evolution all the time. And then to to add another irony on top of that is the traditional evolution crowd um, in science has actually been one of the most anti-evolutionary professions that there's been. And really only within the last couple of years has that kind of been broken. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole group of scientists that will no longer attempt to defend or debate their views because they know that they can't win anymore. And so, you know, maybe that's uh, some of what we can talk about today. There, there's, there's a lot of things that are hot in development right now. So, yeah, we're yeah. going to have an interesting conversation. Well, tell me some of the, um, the fundamental concepts that you discovered that are different from what everyone's been taught in school and what the dogma says about evolution. So if you read kind of a typical blog post or a typical book or if, if you if you went to uh, Barnes and Noble and picked up a couple of evolution books um the 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 really popular ones that have been around for a long time what they're going to tell you is that um there's accidental mutations that creep into um the replication process and cell cells and Sometimes those mutations end up being beneficial instead of detrimental, and then you get a change, and the change might, you know, the change could be good occasionally, and all you need is that occasional good change, and eventually the whole earth will be filled with all this diverse life. Well, that's not really how it works. Um, uh, The reality is quite different from that. The reality is is that uh, cells are sensing what's going on around them. Organisms are sensing what's going on around them. That every cell 
um, in existence uh, has the ability to switch on, switch off, cut, splice, rearrange their DNA, and and that cells are re-engineering themselves all the time, um, and at a much at a much uh, to a lesser degree. Uh, organisms are constantly re-engineering themselves based on, you know, what kind of conditions they're in, is there food, is there water, what's the temperature, and so it's really the organisms re-engineering themselves. And in, in my book, Evolution 2.0, I talk about a Swiss Army knife, which basically has five blades, and it uh, um, it, it's the toolkit that, that cells use to re-engineer themselves. And so, you know, we're we're starting to do genetic engineering now as humans, but nature's already been doing this for millions of years. And in fact, the machinery that we use um, to do this, we just borrowed from bacteria. So, um, you know, Perry, it's, it's you know, you know yeah, what's weird? Ahead. I just realized is um, when you say that, not you, but when when people say that. You know, we're here because of a series of random mutations, a.k.a. it's like dumb luck. It's like saying nature's stupid and it's not deliberate. But from what I've seen just in living and from what you've seen and everyone sees is that it's anything but stupid. And the the result of it is us, which is amazing, and animals and the earth and all the other stuff. And it's it just it's very deliberate. Uh, DNA seems very deliberate. I mean, all of nature seems very deliberate. You know, if you look at antibiotic resistance, for instance, that's deliberate. It's a deliberate reaction to uh, a stress. So I don't. I see it as anything but stupid and random. So well, that, that? well, that's ex that's exactly right. And and in fact, the popular evolution books and most of the evolution conversation has been engineered by people who have an agenda of telling you that nature is stupid and blind and purposeless. Um, and the, the unfortunate thing is the people who oppose them have kind of unwittingly taken the bait, the debate, and they have allowed those people to define the conversation, right? So, so if you read a Richard Dawkins book, you know, Richard Dawkins is the most uh, famous evolutionary biologist and best-selling author of evolution, you know, he tells you that we live in a, a universe that is just blind, pitiless indifference. And he tells you that the only directional force in evolution is survival of the fittest. But it's not true. Okay. So he's, he's pushing an atheist agenda. Um, the religious people have sort of taken the bait and they go, no, no, evolution is a hoax. It's not true. Don't believe it. And they've kind of They've in 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 that sense they've kind of dumbed nature down too because the truth is is nature is intrinsically capable of evolving cells and animals and plants are intrinsically capable of evolving and they do it through their own innate intelligence and uh, and there's there's really eighty to a hundred years of research that backs this up uh, it's just that most people don't really hear much about it so. The, one of the reasons that I wrote Evolution 2.0 was I said, you know what, this is the biggest untold story in the history of science, and nobody's telling it properly. I have to tell this story. Somebody's got to tell tell people the truth. So that's why I wrote the book. Thanks, John. It's okay. And you, um, you know, I, I took you off on a slight tangent, but you talked about the five blades. 
your Swiss Army knife uh, that biology uses. Can you run those over and give us a summary? Yeah, so so um, one of them is is called transposition, and that is um, the, uh, these were originally called jumping genes. And if you can imagine um, how uh, if you're writing a blog post or an email and you move an adjective around or you move an adverb around, you can change the meaning of the sentence just by moving that word somewhere else. Um, uh, and and uh, and so the transposons are, are like that, and, and they, they move around all the time, and your body will make these changes to adjust to its environment. Um, bacteria exchange DNA with each other. This is how uh, germs develop resistance to antibiotics. You start taking antibiotics, they might not have the ability to fight the antibiotic innately, but they will go find a cell that has a piece of machinery that can do what needs to be done and they'll suck in the DNA from that other cell and they'll read it and they'll build a structure and then now all of a sudden they have resistance to antibiotics and that could happen in 20 minutes. Um, there's another really interesting one which is called symbiogenesis and that is when cells merge together. So every green thing that you see when you look out the window um, you know, trees, grass. Um, in biology class, you learned that that's because of a chloroplast, which makes chlorophyll, and the chlorophyll is green. But what they don't tell you is that a chloroplast is really just algae living inside a plant cell. And so it's kind of like a Starbucks in a Marriott. Um, it's, it's like a business inside a business, and they've formed a mm. partnership. So, like, that's just three of them to give you an example. Um, okay. and, and organisms have the ability to, to engineer these changes. Uh, so cells have the ability to ingest another cell and instead of digesting it, form a partnership. Now, this doesn't happen very often, but it's been documented in the lab that you can do this if you do the right things. And so like nature is just exponentially more sophisticated than most people have ever been told. I think people may be uncomfortable with that because if nature is random and stupid, that's fine. Then we feel superior. But if nature is super smart and it has possibly goals or at least it acts in a very directed way, then what's behind that? What's the force behind nature, which implies God to me? But um, well, yeah, well, I agree, and it does it does to me too. And and see, I I I think that if we it's, it's sort of like, well, is God God or is man God? And if you think man is God, you're eventually going to create a catastrophe. I mean, that has happened every time, right? So, like, if you look at Lenin and Stalin and Mao and, and, and all of those, uh, uh, those regimes, basically, they, they got rid of God and man became the measure of all things and they created these giant catastrophes. You know, Lenin said, Atheism is a necessary component of our propaganda. Lenin said that. Uh, sure. You know, I think he knew what he was talking about. There's no, there's no way, there's no way that religious people would have ever let the Soviet government get away with the things that they wanted to do. So the Soviet government had this systematic program for eradicating religion, burning down churches, imprisoning people, 
Um, you, you can read about this in Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He, he talks all about you get a grand tour of the whole program of how they ran it. Um, but, uh, you know, pe people, people who believe in God will not um, let the government become God. And, and I think, well, I think it's important. And I, I think if we don't learn the lesson, we'll repeat it. Definitely. Fair enough. What are, um, I wanted to go back also to the random versus deliberate, uh, I guess, debate. I remember you gave an explanation of why random doesn't work and makes no sense. Can you um, talk about why we're not just here or you believe we're not just here because of a random series of mutations or anything is the way it is because of random mutations? Yeah, so this goes back to an argument I had with my brother in a Chinese bus, which caused this whole book to get written. It, it took me down the rabbit hole. So, so my my brother was a missionary in China, except that he was throwing his Christianity out the window, and he wasn't believing this stuff anymore. And we had been having arguments about this for a couple of years because we're both pastors' kids, and so I was a Christian and. And he had really hard questions, and I respected his questions. I took them very seriously. But he he was he's just kept going and going with this. And finally, I said, oh, come on, Brian. I said, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, that is a fine, fine piece of engineering. And I'm an engineer. I can appreciate this. And I said, you don't think this is an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on. And he just pushes right back. And he gives a kind of very standard Darwinian evolution answer. All you need is is random copying errors and millions and billions of creatures and survival of the fittest. And you will get falcons and you will get hands and you don't need God or anything else. And I listened to that and I thought, well, what if he's right? Like, I don't think he's right, but I don't actually know. So I'm going to find out. I'm going to go home, and I, there's things in science that are very counterintuitive, and maybe this is one of them. So I'm going to go home and find out. Well, here's, here's what I found out. Um, I was, first of all, I was lost for a long time uh, at first, and I was just floundering around. I was buying all these books. I was trying to make sense out of biology. I'm an electrical engineer. I wasn't a biologist. I didn't even know where to start. But I, I just started wherever I could, and, and, I, and, I, and I went for it. Well, one day, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of stuff just snapped in place for me. And what snapped in place was, hey, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I was trying to understand genetics and DNA. And what's a mutation anyway? And I was trying to understand all that. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. I know what this is. I've seen this before. I wrote an Ethernet book. In 2002, and it's now in its third edition, I wrote an Ethernet book, and it was all about how ones and zeros go across the wire, and I realized genetics is ones and zeros. And it mathematically, it obeys all the same rules. I'm like, oh, okay, I can deal with this. Okay, so, so to answer your question, Rich, yep. a DNA mutation is the same as noise. Okay, so like uh, you ever uh, like been listening to an AM radio and then somebody turns on a drill or a saw or a welder yeah. or yeah, something, right? Yep. And you get all this noise. Okay, 
that's what a DNA mutation is, okay? Like an accidental, an unintended mutation is noise. Well, Wi-Fi and Ethernet and any kind of digital communication system, all of those systems, all of them, not just some of them, all of them have error detection and error correction so that the signals go through right. So every time you text somebody, every time you watch a YouTube video, every time you use your computer, there's error correction going on all the time to make sure that you know the website or YouTube or whatever it is, or you and I talking on the phone, that all the information arrives intact. And what I found out was all those same mechanisms that you find in Ethernet are also in cells. Hey, are you there? Detection. I lost you for a second, ironically. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I don't know if you can hear me. I'm going to hang up and dial right back in. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Hey, Barry, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, you actually, me? you know what? That's great. You know why? Because that was uh, some noise that came in and destroyed the connection that I had to hang up. And I'm going to leave this in for listeners because it's a great example. <laughs> the, no the noise, the okay. noise that came in, the error that came in, the mutation into our call made me drop the call. It didn't make the call better. So go ahead with your explanation. <laughs> well, there, there you go. That, that exactly illustrates it. And I found out that, that so in, in Ethernet, you have all these systems, they like, did that message come correctly? They have all these very clever things to make sure that what got sent and what got received are the same thing. It turned out cells had all the same stuff. They have error detection, error correction, and, um, and all of a sudden, like, wow, okay, I get this. So guess what? Evolution is a software engineering problem, and I can deal with it as such. And so all of a sudden, all this started making sense. And what I found out was not only do cells detect and correct errors, but when they're in a stressful situation, they can actually innovate and reprogram themselves. Okay, so right. if, if you are taking antibiotics and you have strep, and you, so you're taking antibiotics for strep, those strep germs, um, they're in your system and that antibiotic is killing them and they'll say, hey man, I gotta find, I gotta find a better way. Uh, I gotta pump this poison out. It'll go around, it'll look for a, uh, another cell that has a pump and it'll find one. And then it'll, it'll, it'll take the code that codes for a pump out of that cell, it will suck it into itself, it'll add it to its DNA, read the DNA, build the pump, pump the poison out, it will update its Dropbox folder and it'll start sharing that code with all of its friends Ugh. and it will start dividing off daughter cells that have pumps. Hmm. And, um, and, and it can do this in 30 minutes. And th this is why we have a epidemic with antibiotics where you know, we, have, we have germs that antibiotics can't kill because you've tried every possible antibiotic on these germs already and they've already acquired the immunity. So right. we have these we 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 have these mechanisms inside so our immune system works the same way, um our physiology works the same way, and so it's unbelievable. One bacteria can do more programming in 12 minutes than a team of Microsoft engineers could do in 12 weeks. And um and so th this is just amazing and and so since we're 
we're on the cusp of all the stuff with AI and gene editing and you know we're 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 trying to make our computers smarter and better there is so much that we can learn just from cells and just from biology biology is way smarter than we are and and i i think for 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 centuries we can be borrowing knowledge from biology and bringing it into engineering and there there's a name for this it's called biomimicry um and it's a it's a hot field like well what can you steal like you know velcro came from a guy noticing um you know cockleburs sticking to your socks he's like huh you know i could make an adhesive piece of tape that works that way and i could stick you know i could uh you know close the uh the opening in your backpack or something and of course it was a brilliant right. idea so also well, huge discoveries if we take the example of um selectively breeding dogs to produce certain breeds i mean it seems that you could look at that two ways one is we're using nature's toolkit you know because we can't create a dog and you know so we have to use nature's toolkit and yes we can modify what nature's doing and direct it but there's a there's a mind behind it that's directing it and changing it but we're, we're using something that again nature created or i mean i don't know if you've heard this what if someone says well look you know dogs evolved into all these different kinds of, of breeds so that means that evolution can happen and it doesn't really need you know if there's similar pressures on animals like dogs to change them into these breeds that means that it just happens on its own it doesn't need to uh you know it is a random type of thing well so here's how you here's how you question an assumption like that so my my take on it as an engineer is that you never completely understand anything until you can build it okay so we could sit here and we could have arguments about where dogs come from and all that you don't really know until you have replicated something where um so like where did the first cell come from you know people could argue about it endlessly um well my response is well build an environment that produces a cell and then you'll know mm. right so if, if somebody says well you know all you need is uh, billiard balls banging around in the universe for a few billion years and a cell will emerge like well okay if you think if you think that can produce a cell then simulate the conditions and make a cell emerge but you don't get to just make up a story which is what a lot of people do. So this is why I put together a technology prize. I, I was um, in 2005, I think, a friend um, told me about an interview that Richard Dawkins was doing on an NPR station. And I tuned in and I listened to it. And somebody called in and they said, uh, where do you think life came from? And he said, it was a happy chemical accident. And then he just hmm. went on um like and like nobody challenged him on it and nobody objected and you know the radio host seemed to be a fan it was it was almost like you know richard dawkins was his hero and he was just really happy to get him on his show and so every he was getting a free pass on everything and i thought happy chemical accident like you're going to reduce the beginning of life to that you're a you're a you're a you're a Oxford professor for crying out loud. You're not supposed to say stuff like that. What do they pay you to do anyway? Like, I mean, I was just, I, I couldn't believe I heard it. I couldn't believe anybody would say such a thing. 
Mm. And, um, well, and, and I would talk to people about this, like, well, um, my observation was DNA is a code. All of the other codes are designed, so that kind of looks like DNA is designed. And that's, that, that was my conclusion. Mm. And, um, and I would get into debates with people about this. And, um, and eventually what I realized was, you know, people can have their opinions, and I can have the opinion that God made the universe, and they could have the opinion that there is no God. But let's get let's dispense with making up stories and let's get to actual facts. So I put together a five million dollar technology prize and it says if you can get from chemicals to code without cheating, if you can get a code without designing one, I've got a group of investors and we, we if you figure this out, we want to patent whatever you did, we want to patent it and we want to buy the patent for five million dollars. And we'll pay for the patent too. Okay? We'll, we'll pay for all the legal costs, and this will probably be quite a battle because this is, this is a huge discovery. If somebody figured this out, it, was, it would be as big of a deal as E equals MC squared. It would be as big of a deal as the theory of relativity or anything like that. If there's a process that produces codes from chemicals, if you can pour chemicals in your bathtub and get code to self-organize, man, like Microsoft would be all over that. So. So, you know, we, we've got this, uh, this investor group. I have a judging panel. I have the leading geneticist at Harvard. His name is George Church. He's on my judging panel. He is a rock star in the genomics world. Um, you look him up. He's got a huge Wikipedia page. Tell all about him. Um, I have Dennis Noble. He is the leading physiologist at Oxford University. He's a fellow of the Royal Society. I have another guy, Michael Ruse. Um, Michael is an atheist who was in the um, like various creation trials as an expert witness. He's a historian and philosopher of science. I got him on board because Christian Kadashini at Hero X, who hosts our prize, he said, Perry, he goes, you need an atheist on your team. Uh, so I went and got one. You know, I thought for, you know, for, for all fairness and diplomacy and everything else, I had to have one. So. Michael's yep. a really wonderful guy. I love I love having beers with him, and he's from Florida State University. So all right, so the prize is ongoing. <clears throat> Any uh, promising entries, or is it not at that stage yet? Yes, I've I've had uh, a number of promising entries. Um, there's actually four that are published. I've had some other ones that are interesting in various ways. Um, I just had one come in the other day that. Um, I, I, I reached out to a physicist I know who is looking at submission. I don't know that the person's actually solved the problem, but well, what he sent in looks interesting. So I, I don't, I don't know, but, but I, right. I can tell you this. I, I get a steady trickle of entries on this thing and most of them don't seem to be very good. And a few of them, are consistently interesting. So, you know, I think what we've got here is Shark Tank for biological ideas. I think that's what we've got. And whether we solve this problem or not, we're going to solve some problems. And my investor group is very interested in doing that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And what I wanted to ask you is, you know, I, I read your Evolution Evolution 2.0 book, but it it just kind of made me more interested to know more. You know, and I wish you'd come out with another one. So, <laughs> I want to ask you. I do. You know, I want evolution 2.1 or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I figured there's, 
there's new stuff that's come about. So what's the, what's the new new now now that the prize is running and you know, you've done the book and you know what you know. I, I highly doubt you just sit there and say, all right, we'll just see what happens. I, I know you're searching too. So what have you found that's yeah. new that builds upon the work? Well, the the biggest thing that I see right now is that gene editing has gone from like when I published the book, people were kind of murmuring about gene editing. Now it's just totally front page news. And every people are talking about it all over the place. And you can now edit genes as easily as cut and paste Microsoft Word. And um, now I think that's on one level, that's very exciting because it means that a disease like cystic fibrosis, which comes from one letter copying error, could probably be easily fixed. Um, and, and, you know, there's all kinds of things like that that you can do. That That's on the positive side. Um, however, it is a huge Pandora's box of potential problems. And, you know, it's funny. I was just on a podcast last hour, and I was talking to these guys. And, and this, this uh, guy that was interviewing me, he was an MD, and he said, you know, he said, it seems like every time we've tampered with nature, we've created disasters. You know, like somebody yeah. thought it would be a really good idea to bring rabbits to Australia, you know, and then 10 years later, rabbits are just eating everything in the whole country. And it was like an unmitigated disaster. And, mm -hmm. you know, and they couldn't get rid of them. Like they, they, get, they even rounded up all these people and said, okay, go shoot rabbits. And like, they, they couldn't, they couldn't kill them fast enough. They they multiplied faster than that, you know. Um, and and I'm I am concerned, and here's why: most biologists have been trained to believe that evolution is accidental, and therefore, whether this is ex is stated explicitly or not, they assume that we're smarter than nature, and it's not true. Now, I think if we're editing genes and our attitude towards nature is nature is way smarter than me, I am taking a thorn out of a tiger's paw, but the tiger is mightier than me, and I better not startle the tiger, mm -hmm. um, then we can cautiously um, fix problems and birth defects and, and do some other things. I think if we assume that we're smarter and stronger than the tiger, the tiger may eat us. Um, well, what's, and so, what's an example of uh, us us doing gene editing and being, you know, revering nature versus us saying, ah, we know better, and you know, maybe just okay. So, so here's an example. So, um, there's a a lot of people talking about we could get rid of malaria. Um, and we could get rid of malaria by reprogramming mosquitoes, and we can inject something called a gene drive, which greatly accelerates the speed at which genes will accelerate into a population of mosquitoes. And um, basically, uh, to make a long story short, we could eradicate mosquitoes and get rid of malaria. Well, okay. You know, malaria is a certainly a hugely deadly disease, but if you destroy an entire species in an ecosystem, you know, you know, birds eat those mosquitoes and lizards eat those mosquitoes and, you know, it has a place. Yeah. What are the unintended consequences of doing that? 
What if the cure is worse than the disease? And there's no way to know until you actually do it. And so, you know, I just, I, I, I'm not trying to make anything illegal. Um, what I'm trying to do is change the ethos of the whole conversation. Uh, you know, if you're going to reduce Evolution 2.0, my book, to two sentences, it's Darwinists underestimate nature and creationists underestimate God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Darwinists implicitly assume that nature is stupid, that the mutations are accidental, that there's no direction, that there's no plan. I completely disagree. In fact, the direction and the plan is so sophisticated, we barely fathom what it is, okay? But, but nature has goals. There's a way that nature wants to be. It's very clear, okay? Now, creationists underestimate God. What do I mean by that? Well, creationists think evolution's a hoax. And they think, um, you know, something sort of like, you know, God beamed zebras onto the savannah and they suddenly appeared eating grass. Well, okay, you know, from an engineering point of view, beaming zebras onto the savannah is sort of impressive. But it's not nearly as impressive as making a universe that is capable of giving birth to life, which is capable of diversifying into millions of species and building a whole ecosystem for those species to live in and doing it automatically based on whatever's going on in the environment and whatever the needs are of every individual niche in the ecosystem. I mean, it's just astonishing. And, and so I think, you know, I grew up a creationist when, you know, I was a pastor's kid. And, and I remember when the guy came to our church for a whole week and every night there was a different lecture and it was all about how the earth is 6,000 years old. I ate it up. I mean, I thought this was really fun and cool. Um, and it was okay. more fun than the regular stuff they talked about at church. Um, and yeah, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old and everything's from Noah's flood and and all, it sounded great at the time, but I eventually figured out, well, no, it doesn't really add up. Um, um, so so I, I grew up that way, and, and I, you know, I absolutely believe in God, but I think the version of God that I had growing up was it was a very small-minded kind of provincial conception of God. Um, I, God's a lot bigger than that. And, um, and, and so I, I think we have to correct this. Or we're going to make some mistakes. And I, there, there's mistakes that we don't have to make. We could sidestep them. So I'm just really encouraging some caution. And I, I think if people knew how smart nature is, uh, they would have so much more respect for what we're tampering with. Hmm. So where has this journey taken you in your own thinking? You know, have you, I guess it's forced you to consider the biggest questions, but uh, how is your perspective different on them? You know, for instance, uh, there seems to be only life on Earth, and the universe is unbelievably vast. We've never run into any life, never mind intelligent life anywhere. Right. Well, any changes in thoughts on that question because of this? Well, so, you know, one of the things that the Evolution Prize brings to the table is the fact that all the other codes are designed. So it actually, it looks like life is designed. And, you know, if you just take the information we currently have at face value, it sort of looks like life really was divinely seeded. But, you know, I'm open to the possibility that that's not really correct. I'm, I'm open to the possibility that there are 
emergent properties in nature or ways of producing consciousness or you know some other principles of organization that can cause life to emerge under the right conditions automatically and maybe that's true like we we don't have any evidence that that's true i don't think uh and certainly nobody solved the prize but you know maybe it's true well what if it is true what if under certain conditions that life is automatically going to get started and then have the intelligence to, to evolve well then that means that really reality is even more amazing than than people even think it is and and that there are entire laws of physics that we still haven't understood and and one of the things that i say to people all the time i say I estimate that we understand 5% of evolution. I don't think it's any more than that. You know, so like if if you read the popular evolution books that are out there by people like Jerry Coyne and Daniel Dennett and Richard Dawkins, they give you the impression that we basically got it all figured out and all you need is millions of years in natural selection and you'll just get everything. The truth is we've barely barely scratched the surface. So I have this appreciation for the richness of nature that I never had before I went down this rabbit hole. In fact, I couldn't have even begun to imagine what it was that I was about to discover when I started this journey. This is so much more amazing than I ever thought it was. Any um, any other new concepts or ideas that uh, maybe you're not done figuring them out, but uh, anything else that's come up recently that you've discovered? Well, I just, uh, I am constantly looking for ways to apply biological ideas to business. And just to give you a little morsel, there's an author I've started reading as a very obscure guy. His name is Donald Williamson. And uh, he died a few years ago, but he was a researcher on the Isle of Man for most of his life, um, which is between the UK and Ireland. This, uh, and And he did all of this research on larva okay now what most people know about larva is butterflies so you you know you have you have uh larva makes a caterpillar and then um and then the and and then the caterpillar transforms into a butterfly and you look at that you're like how on earth did that happen and um Williamson has the best explanation I've ever seen, and he he was never able to prove his theory. I think there's still there's a lot of proof that's still needed for this, but but he studied um, he studied um, all these organisms that live in the sea on the coast mm-hmm. of the Isle, Isle of Man, and um, a, a lot of these sea creatures like tunicates and like um, uh, you know like these these more simple little marine organisms that are simpler than fish they don't they don't mate in the normal sexual way they like it's more like the females will lay their eggs on the on the sea floor and then the the males will will put their sperm out and the sperm and the eggs will just mix in the water and then this is this is how the eggs get fertilized well williamson's theory is that is that larvae and these organisms that do metamorphosis where you know the the larva is this one form and then the adult is this completely different form 
they are actually hybridizations between two species. Okay, so let me give you an example of a hybridization that, that you would be very familiar with. Horse okay. plus donkey equals mule, okay? A horse and a donkey are two different species, okay? And they mate right. together, and they, they make a third species, okay? And what, what Williamson said was um, that if, if distant creatures, like these two creatures, they're actually considerably different from each other, you know, one, one time in a thousand or a million, the, the germination of the egg and the sperm would actually work, but it would create a bizarre development cycle where the, the, mother, the, the, the mother offspring develops first, and then the father offspring's development cycle kicks in later, and, and, um, and so, like, you see this with butterflies and caterpillars. So the caterpillar is from one lineage, and the butterfly is from another one, and they've actually formed this hybrid partnership. And so two branches of the tree of life have actually come together to produce a completely new species. Oh, wow. Now, this is done with plants all the time. Now, now, Rich, you'll appreciate this. I realize that we do this in business. So, so I, I've got to stop at, at the top of the hour, but, but I'll tell you an sure. example. So, so I had this customer named Casey Graham, and he came to one of my workshops, and he had a information marketing business that's selling training and coaching and seminars and stuff to pastors of churches. And so he's doing this, and people like you and I would be very familiar with that kind of business. Well, he had this other company that had grown out of it, and it was a software as a service company, and it was, it was apps. So pastors could get their congregation to electronically um, give funds through their phone instead of putting money in the offering plate or writing a check. And I right. said, Casey, that's your real business. The seminar business is just, it's just the fertile soil for you to really grow the other business. And I, I said, you need to concentrate on that business. Two years later, he sold it for more than $10 million. Hmm. Okay, now. That is a caterpillar butterfly where the butterfly ate the caterpillar and then flew away. Ugh. You see the analogy? Yeah. Yep. And 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 see, I think I think that um, nature has already solved all of our business problems and all of our technological problems. We just need to study it. Okay. Right. So I'm I'm studying these books by this very obscure guy at the in the Isle of Man who did all these experiments and concluded that like a whole bunch of evolutionary biology was wrong because a whole lot of these forms that you see are actually the result of hybrid mergers. And I read his book and I was like, that makes total sense because I've been watching this happen in technology and business all my life. And so I think I've only scratched the scratch on the scratch of the surface and there's so much more. But, you know, we do have a, we have a, uh, a business bonus um, section on the website for Evolution 2.0 buyers, and we have links inside the book. And people who want to connect those dots, we've got some really amazing tools that were inspired by, by biology. Um, they're being used to create companies now. And uh, so if, if you read my book, Evolution 2.0, you get a dip into that. Great. Yeah, and I, uh, I'll let you go. And I, I, I've read the book three times so far. It's led me in many other journeys to learn a lot more things. So uh, I definitely encourage listeners to read it. If it affects you, there's no way it can't. 
and it's a great work. So, Eric, thanks for coming on the call. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. Thanks. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.